Chapter 42. Align Education with Vocation. Money-back guarantees don't come with degrees. Ask my cousin. He spent 10 years in college, jumped between various majors, built enough debt to last a lifetime, and eventually got a job that had nothing to do with his college degree. I don't blame him, but success can exist outside of higher education. College is best suited for careers that need professional degrees. However, the world was built by our skilled labor force, inspired by a creative community, and energized by our entertainment industry. And, before anyone gets off their high horse, these words of encouragement are coming directly from a cubicle veteran. It's nice to encourage kids to pursue white-collar jobs, but it's not the end-all and be-all. The world offers all types of careers and jobs that keep the world turning. We live in an exciting time where anyone has the potential to be what they want to be, given their expertise and environment. The world needs creators to satisfy the needs of consumers. My friend's son had no interest in college or becoming a cubicle warrior, but he had an aptitude for working on cars. So after he graduated from high school, he took a calculated risk and opened a custom car shop with the money he saved from his part-time gigs. It's tempting to think that the story would end here, underscoring massive failure, but he wanted to prove the status quo wrong. With careful planning and crafty automotive work that could speak for itself, his business didn't just survive, but thrived. He showed the world that excellence can go beyond the paperwork of degrees and that finding a worthwhile vocation doesn't have to follow the typical process. Higher education isn't the only path toward greatness. Focus on education that aligns with your interests, abilities, and vocation. Learn intentionally and find a career that can challenge you to be the best that you can be. How's it, everyone? My name is Michael Kabuko, and welcome to another episode of the Love Notes for Life podcast, your creative space for discovering greatness through gratitude. So kids these days don't know how good they have it. I was chatting with a friend recently, and she was telling me about her son's internship. I was like, oh, yeah? So what college does he go to? And then she said, oh, no, he's in high school. Wait, what? Either I went to the wrong high school or maybe the education system here in the U.S. is finally starting to pick up. Don't get me wrong, I thought my high school education was on point, but after hearing more about her kid's school and the emphasis they placed on learning professional skills, I started to wonder, maybe if my school is at that level, I would have been better prepared for college and picking out a career field. I would have? More like, I would have been. You see, and I hate to be the Debbie Downer, but I really didn't have a lot of faith in my educational experience. And I think that resentment started back when I attended Edgren Middle High School back in Misawa Air Base, Japan. So as a military brat, my father got a chance to bring my mom and I overseas right before I started middle school. I know, the timing, right? It seemed like it was such a big move during my childhood since I would be leaving the comforts of elementary school and entering the uncharted territory of middle school. And, to top it off, it would be a school environment where the high schoolers and middle schoolers would coexist. Talk about plenty of opportunities for the upperclassmen to, you know, rough up the little kids. But, nevertheless, I survived, toughened up, 
but more importantly, living overseas allowed me to witness the Japanese educational system from the perspective of an average American. You see, over in the land of the rising sun, the people of Japan take their education seriously. The Japanese school system is like playing a video game, but with the difficulty set to veteran mode, and you get no opportunities to respawn, and when it's game over, yeah, it's pretty much game over. Now, a quick sidebar, before I dive into the intensity of the Japanese school system, I was already dealing with my own cultural expectations. There's this generalization that exists in the Filipino culture that, you know, you go to school to eventually become either a nurse or an engineer. And for the most part, you know, the joke is true, but also there's an expectation that school should be held at a high standard and report cards should only show the letter A. An A- minus is considered below average, whereas an A- plus is right on target. So in essence, I wasn't super surprised at the educational system in Japan. However, while I thought my personal experiences were already cranked up to a level 10, the architecture of the Japanese school system was pretty much cranked up to a level 100. It's just that intense. On one school field trip, my classmates and I had the chance to visit a Japanese high school. And from the outside, it looked just like any high school campus, but that's where the similarities ended. The culture of respect is very ingrained within everyday life in Japan, so before we entered their classroom, we had to remove our shoes by the door and wear slippers. In the Japanese culture, shoes are removed to keep their living spaces clean and to advocate a lifestyle of great hygiene. Also another neat fact, we had to point our shoes towards the door because that would redirect bad energy or spirits away from the living space. Now after we entered the classroom, we got to interact with the other students, played some icebreaker games, and learned more about their day-to-day -day life. Their curriculum focused heavily on the idea that what you put in is what you deserve, and this is easily summed up by the emphasis on studying and taking exams. In Japan, you just don't show up at the door of any high school that you desire. No, but rather you need to earn your worth by acing the entrance exam. It is notoriously difficult, and the kids often give it the nickname Shikien Jugoku, which means exam hell. And if you think a couple of weeks will get you by, then you might as well not even try. Kids in Japan study years in advance to attend the right school or university. Furthermore, if you fail the entrance exam, then you have to wait one more year to get another shot at getting into university. Like I said, learning in Japan isn't for the faint of heart. So after spending time in the classroom, we were invited to have lunch at their cafeteria, which looked more like a restaurant. There wasn't any sign of sloppy joes, tater tots, or square pizza. No, it felt like we were at a proper establishment with all these cool self-service kiosks where you could order your meal. And the menu looked delicious. I remember ordering ramen, and it wasn't just some instant noodle in a cup. It was the real deal with a nice broth, savory noodles, and a good selection of sides. I guess on the bright side, with all that intense studying, they could look forward to a proper meal instead of deep fried chicken fries and a side of, what is this again? And I'm not hating at all those chicken fries, which I still think is one of America's greatest and kookiest comfort food inventions. But clearly, our school field trip made us all wonder. So why don't we have this stuff back in our own high school? 
So we ended our tour playing basketball with our new friends, and even when we were playing sports, you sensed that competitive spirit within all the students. Sure, it was just a friendly pickup game, but even then, you could see how well they represented themselves through respect and through their culture. I came away from that school field trip with a new perspective. I realized how culture can really impact the way we structure our daily lives and influence the establishments we rely on. At the time, I could say without a doubt, my high school might have been ranked one of the best among the other American military schools, but when I went to that Japanese high school, I felt really humbled. When you step back and think you're at the top of the mountain, there's a much taller mountain in the distance. It is no wonder that even into adulthood, when I meet people from Japan, I can feel a sense of respect, an undeniable belief that discipline creates excellence, and a sense of pride derived from all the challenges that they face throughout their young adult life. At the same time, I do feel a slight sense of doubt and regret within my own academic experience, and I do get tempted to say that it could have been better. So for my junior and senior year, my parents and I made the trip back to Northern California for my dad's last duty location. We ended up in the outskirts of Sacramento, California, in the countryside of good old Wheatland, California. Some say that you could drive through Wheatland, California and not know you were even there. Also, that if you wanted to see the pumpkin farm to rule all pumpkin farms, you would head down to Bishop's Pumpkin Farm, open seven days a week in the fall, with nighttime spectacular fireworks every Friday. And if you wanted to make a city boy turn country, you would send him to good old Wheatland Union High School, where square dancing was mandatory in PE, and seeing a horse down the street was not uncommon. That was Wheatland in a nutshell, and it was the best two years of my high school experience. I had a blast. I had great friends, was heavily involved in the music program, joined a breakdancing crew surprisingly, and all this fun, well, it didn't really help me pick out a career. But, despite my lack of preparedness, we had Career Day, where a representative from one of the local community colleges came over to talk about life after high school. She was all about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, and that seemed to be the selling point to every high school kid at the time. Now, mind you, living in Wheatland meant a few things. Sure, half of the school was made up of military brats, but the other half came from families of generational farmers, skilled mechanics, and small-town jobs. We had a strong, skilled labor force, and it truly represented what built America in the first place. So you could kind of see a divide in trust when the college rep was trying to sell the fantasy of working in STEM. Regardless of how convincing she was, some of my classmates just didn't buy in, since they knew what they wanted to do after high school. As expected, most would continue working for their family's farm, some would go into the skilled trade labor force, and some would fill the community roles of becoming teachers. In addition, the creatives and the athletes would continue to pursue refining their skills in university. I, on the other hand, was a bit perplexed. I could see her mouth move, I understood the words, but I really didn't know exactly what STEM careers really meant. Well, I thought I did, but I was so wrong. In fact, I remember filling out the questionnaire at the end of the talk, and one of the questions was a fill-in-the-blank, a what-do-you-want-to-do type of question. Well, my initial response was music, but in my conditioning, and with the representative doing a fine job selling STEM, 
I edited my choices. So on a whim, I picked two things, professional chef and computer science and engineering. I had a passion for cooking, so I thought it'd be a fun career to pursue. And to pay respect to my parents, I chose an engineering field that sounded interesting. I mean, computers and science, that sounds pretty cool. Work in a science lab and play with computers. Yeah, I can do that. But as I entered my first quarter at UC Davis as a computer science major, I would be entering a world that was far from what I expected. On day one of my introduction to computer science class, my professor started his lecture by offering a very valuable lesson. He said the following, everyone, please look to your left and then to your right. Half of the people here will fail my class, but it is to be expected. Not everyone here will become a prolific programmer or even a successful engineer. Expect some of your peers to fail, and if you've failed, it is not the end of the world. There are other jobs. There are other careers that need to be filled and work that better aligns with your skills and talent. Just because you're in this class doesn't mean you have to be an engineer. However, you will not know if this class wasn't meant for you unless you give it a shot. You may surprise yourself, and you may find that this career field may give you great fulfillment. On the other hand, if you feel a disconnect after weeks of taking my class, there is no shame in dropping it, and I will help you find a major that suits your personality better. So, if you're not willing to take the risk, then the door is right there and you're free to leave. However, for everyone else that's ready to get started, let's begin, shall we? As expected, a portion of my class got up, out of fear probably, exited the room, and I don't think I ever saw them again for the rest of my time at UC Davis. I, on the other hand, was just taken in his words. It felt like he was talking directly to me. I mean, he was, but his advice really had a profound effect on me. I wasn't like my peers, and I'm not one to generalize often, but my classmates spoke in code literally programming code. They enjoyed building software where I was just trying to make sense of it all and survive my first year in college. But one thing that I do take pride in is that I'm a very stubborn person. And when someone offers me a challenge, I will fight to complete it until I've exhausted all of my options. So I accepted my professor's challenge and I decided to stay in the class. It was downright hard and there were times where I wanted to give up but I pulled through, and with the magical properties of grading on a curve, I managed to pass his class. But at the end of that class, I realized that my professor was right. I needed to switch gears, not because I couldn't do the work, but I could do better work in a different career field. So I switched majors to electrical engineering since I could roll my educational credits towards that major. It wasn't my first pick, but at the same time, I didn't want to stay in college forever. And to be honest, it wasn't such a bad experience. The field was interesting, and I got a chance to take some cool classes like quantum physics, but at the end of the day, I was pretty good at it. I wasn't in love with the major, but I could perform and execute when necessary. But when you lack fulfillment, you naturally gravitate towards discovering the alternative. As I wrapped up my college career, I had something creative brewing on the side. It was my first passion project turned business called Fitted Life. Fitted Life had nothing to do with engineering. It was my sanity check away from engineering. 
It was an automotive media company that I founded focused on covering car shows, motorsports, and the car community. I was a car guy, and I loved mashing up my creative skill set with my interests. Fitted Life would exercise my skills in automotive and portrait photography and would initiate my love for writing through journalism. It was a huge contrast from engineering, but it was my first education in the business of creativity. I learned everything about communication, the value of making mistakes fast to improve my skills quicker, and developing the confidence in a variety of dynamic environments. It was a masterclass in learning about who I was and what I was truly capable of. I learned to be open to learning everything, discarding the knowledge that was unnecessary and being intentional with my actions. Fitted Life taught me how to thrive in the perfect storm of creativity. As Fitted Life was still growing, I still had to address my career duality between being an engineer and being a creative entrepreneur. My life was split in two. On one side, I was a full-time engineer, and it was a career field that I could excel at. I was reliable, I enjoyed the design aspect, and my team could depend on me even if the work got slower or was boring. On the other hand, I was still running Fitted Life, and it was getting quite exhausting. My tastes were changing, and so was my vision for the brand. I couldn't recognize the brand that I started, and I remembered what my college professor said. There is no shame in giving up something to gain something better. So I closed up shop, and the brand went dark. Fitted life was over, and I retreated back into my normal life. Everything that I had worked for was shelved at the time, and I didn't know if I'd ever start a brand again. My vision was now just a distant memory. But when you're called to serve, you don't seek your vocation. Your vocation finds its way back to you. So weeks before I published Love Notes for Life, I knew that the book wasn't the end game, but rather it was just the first chapter of great things to come. It marked the beginning of the Love Notes for Life universe. Love Notes for Life wasn't just a book of my experiences and observations, but it was truly a lifestyle. It was a mindset, a collection of values for living a great life even when the going gets tough. It was a guidebook for those that needed clarity and a love note for balancing greatness with gratitude. So I gave creativity another shot. I had the education, the creative skill set, and the experience to see Love Notes for Life go beyond the pages of a book. I had a vision, and I needed to see it through. The podcast is only one step forward into the Love Notes for Life universe, and I can't wait to share with y'all what's next. There's that saying that after a perfect storm, the sun will shine again. And Love Notes for Life became my sun that shone so brightly. It emerged from a perfect storm. Moments when I recognized that my vocation arrived through the right combination of skills and experiences drawn over time. It was like finally finding all the right keys to unlock a treasure chest that I kept so close throughout all my years. It didn't happen overnight, but I trusted the process. And by gaining experience and skills that aligned with my interests, I eventually found what I was looking for. I secured my reason for creating purpose in life. Stay curious, learn intentionally, and listen carefully to the world around you. Your experiences will grant you clarity and will lead you to discovering your authentic self. Be aware of the connections and define a meaningful life. Thanks all for tuning in to another episode of the Love Notes for Life podcast. 
I look forward to continuing this conversation of awareness and amplifying greatness through gratitude. My book, Love Notes for Life, is now available on Barnes & Noble with the direct link in the show notes below. Thanks all for the support, and always remember, there is beauty in knowing that there is only one of you. Take care.